Hi Ved, what's up? Did you miss not talking last week on Soliloquy? Definitely, definitely. It's become so much a part of the lockdown routine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, funny thing happened. Yeah, tell so, me. Modi, I, you must know, Modi announced uh, the lockdown package. Yes. So, like a 20 lakh crore package. Mm-hmm. So, I also saw that Anmay Bhatt was doing a live stream mm-hmm. while he was announced. So, he, he just put the news on NDTV and he was pausing in the middle. He was stopping it and so making his own comments. And it was a pretty funny video. So, I sent it to a friend of mine and she immediately like... Uh, it might be funny, but I can't watch it because he's a sexual assaulter. Okay, but he wasn't he was, an assaulter. Was he's he? not a, exactly. He's not, he's not a sexual assaulter. He was he was implicated in a scandal because uh, he was the CEO of AIB, and AIB didn't take action against someone who another who who a victim had called out for a sexual offence. Mm-hmm. And so that's a completely different matter. And I explained that, and like he's not been implicated for it legally. And she's like, no, 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 he's, he's an assaulter. And like the word assaulter is completely different meaning. Yeah. And you're not watching a good performance because of that. Like if you take, if you have a different principle objection, it's different. But her idea is to know if she, he's an assaulter. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, you know, there's a, there's a failure to appreciate nuance in these situations because of which you, uh, you end up making so many people feel that the cancel culture as a whole yeah. is fueled more by this lack of appreciation of the ones than by a genuine outcry against perpetrators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it also leads to this conversation around how blanket is cancel culture going to be because, uh, and this is very relevant uh, in what is happening with respect to the boys' locker room and uh, yeah. the whole news coming out and the follow-up of that where lots of people uh, also in the Kolkata circuit have been called out. So I think this is where we need to talk about cancel culture uh, more proactively and try and understand what exactly does it mean. Because you have a situation where there are two narratives, right? There is the uh, narrative of the victim, which obviously is not something that we should disregard because it takes time, it takes a lot of effort to share something in the public forum. But at the same time, there is also the narrative of the so-called perpetrator, which needs to be listened to at the very least before we, we arrive at a judgment. So do you think there has been, you mentioned the lack of nuance. Could you sort of qualify yeah, yeah. that and say what do you mean by lack of nuance in this respect? I'll tell you why. So there is there is a general feeling that calling people out, of course, with with due respect to the idea, like appreciation of the idea that there are far, like so many instances where there is a genuine offense and it's being called out and we support that, right? Mm-hmm. But there's so many times when people who are large neutral parties and in a more objective paradigm would have just chosen one side or gone into the facts of the case, will actually just shift to the victim's side because they feel, oh, that is someone breaking conformity and that in itself must be appreciated. Mm -hmm. So the macro need to propagate the idea of calling people out might just have some collateral damage happening to people who haven't committed an offense or cases that that aren't as grave as they're made out to be. Mm-hmm. but are being propagated that way. Because, for example, like in this friend situation just gave you, right? I think yeah. people, this person is unable to appreciate exactly what sexual assault means mm-hmm. or why some people, like different parties in the scandal are liable to different degrees. Yeah. Right? And you call them out for exactly that. Mm-hmm. Like on a slightly different parallel, look at Modi and the Bodhra riots, right? There's still instances where people talk about 2002. Like yeah. you don't know whether he was right or wrong, right? Legally you do, maybe actually we don't. Mm-hmm. But that still changes the work he does. And there are times when it has absolutely nothing to do with the policy that's coming out. And you'd rather criticize the policy in the face of it. Mm-hmm. But I think this is an insufficient and a really bad way to start criticizing someone. 
And I think this also creates the whole uh, idea of cancel culture also creates false equivalencies in the sense that uh, one mm-hmm. argument that we keep hearing from, let's say, a lot of people who say that anybody who has been accused should be boycotted straight away. Uh, the the idea is that by not boycotting them, you are not valuing the confessions or you're not valuing uh, the statement of the victim, right? And I think that's a false equivalence because for the simple reason that I think as a society, we can learn to appreciate and sympathize with the victim's story without going ahead and directly engaging in uh, condemnation of the, of the so-called perpetrator. At least until and unless there is sufficient proof. Look, in certain cases, there is sufficient proof straight away. When you see certain text messages, then that is pretty clear what has happened. But there are also also cases where uh, the truth lies somewhere in between. And there are uh, certain shades of greyness that that covered the issue. So I think that sort of disentanglement of sympathy and condemnation on both sides of the narrative needs to be something we need to engage in. Another thing that you mentioned with respect to this Tanmay Bhatt example and sort of the Modi, the Modi parallel that you drew as well is this inability to uh, sort of uh, separate the art from the artist, as it were. And a lot of these conversations became very relevant when uh, Woody Allen was, was sort of accused in uh, the, the, sexual ass- uh, the sexual assault case. And I think these are questions we need to ask ourselves in a larger societal context that when somebody produces something, whether it be a work of art, whether it be a policy, and it's out in the public domain, how much of their personality is imbibed in that particular work? And by not engaging with that work, are you not engaging with a larger part of society because you're viewing that work as just constituting the individual who's produced it? Yeah, but you see, on the other hand, there are, it, it's a very easy escape route, for, especially for artists. If you spread the idea that the art must be separated from the artist, and hence if you're boycotting the artist, you don't need to boycott the artist. Hmm. Which leaves you with two questions on on the face of it. The first is how then do you how how then do you boycott the artist, right? Because this Hmm. is the the greatest and in some cases the only way to attack that person. They are you find a lot. They are relatively in many ways more stoic than the rest of the world. If you attack an industrialist on a personal level and not just his work or his company. It's a different story. You can still bring them down, but you can't do that to an artist who are attacking the artist. Mm-hmm. The second part is how then do you show that, how then do you create a sympathy or still make, let's still let people get that feel good factor from consuming his art because one way or the other, if you're a name, right, what you do inevitably carries that label with you, whether you're a, like a clothes designer or you're a, you're a, you're a, you're a movie director or an actor, right? When I'm watching Shah Rukh Khan on the screen, vis-a-vis if I'm watching a random, like, no good actors just come up yesterday on the screen, I I very definitely, regardless of how well he's playing that role, relate to him as Shah Rukh Khan. Mm-hmm. Right? And even that film is, like, given the marketing they do these days, builds on his persona in the promotion. Yes. So if you're buying into the film, you are essentially buying into the persona building they're doing as a part of the whole promotional package. Mm-hmm. So it's not that easy to clinically de-link one from the other. Yes. So especially in this case, we need to not go down that slippery slope of saying that, look, you, you can boycott one but not boycott the other, right? Mm-hmm. But though, of course, I agree with the opposite side. I just think there is no straight answer, like, there is no definite answer to it. Yes, yes, exactly. And and I'm also not advocating the fact that you should, you know, not go ahead and boycott the art or not go ahead and uh, sort of engage with these people. But what I'm trying to say is that there needs to be more of a discussion, like, because what happens is whenever a name comes in, 
that has been embroiled in any of these accusations or any of these issues largely of the sexual nature there is this blanket certificate of disengagement that okay this person has been accused so that's it there is no more conversation around this it's just bad what happened with the boys locker room incident of course uh, i think it was uh, four or five days ago that a report came out that uh, the rape messages which ended up uh, attracting most of the attention when the initial chats were leaked uh, actually came from a woman actually came from a girl who's like 16 17 years old and then suddenly what happened is that the identity politics that was happening with respect to you know sort of trying to corner boys and corner men and corner abuses in general and all the hashtags around not all men and yes all men and all of that suddenly got a flip and then it became about women and then it became about calling out so called pseudo feminists who'd been trying to weaponize the issue through the lens of feminism and that i think that's really sad to see at one level because obviously we understand that in a patriarchal society that india still is there are there is a lopsided nature of power there is no doubt about that and there are patriarchal mechanisms that facilitate something like a boys locker room but don't you think that every issue that becomes an issue of sexual assault harassment abuse of power to necessarily see that issue through a lens of patriarchy versus feminism is to give the issue an ideological grounding which it does not always necessitate so what i'm trying to say if i sort of phrase it differently is that a girl can do something bad a boy can do something bad and that does not necessarily need to attach itself with the larger framework of feminism or the larger framework of patriarchy so if if a woman calls out a guy uh, uh, or rather you know tries to test his character as this girl was doing through all those rape comments that action in and of itself is not an insult to feminism and nor is the boys locker room uh and a sort of insult to to all men or all boys who grow up in a, in a particular environment of elite schools i'll tell you i know people who will respond to this by saying that oh she's a girl why is she taking pictures of herself to begin with hmm. a right b i know comparatively conservative people right who are somewhere in the middle ground and they will say oh she's a girl she should never be interacting so much with boys right and you'll find this even amongst educationists today yeah. so funny the third is people like us right who are like no it we should appreciate the nuance discuss the topic and we also know like people who would want to make it from the get go about an ideology conflict now i yeah. think the first two need to be discarded right the third and fourth are both correct in their own way mm-hmm. the i think when we're talking about how you appreciate the nuance a big problem is that the facts are never going to be clear enough because yeah. there is so much of a like if you if you wrote it even the reporting and the way in which they they suddenly reported that no it was a girl who did it right and the absence of the absence of a full fledged investigation and the speed at which somehow they came to this conclusion is very funny right like there, there's something got in there so you don't completely realize why they've done it fourth the fourth uh, example which i gave you i think there are a lot of instances where especially to counter these conservative mindsets of the first and second example you need to spread this idea that you are at war with patriarchy hmm. because unless unless you go out and very clearly delineate that we are at war you are not going to get that level of change hmm. now what what i have not been able to answer yet is whether it is okay to get some collateral damage in the form of some people exactly. who might not be that patriarchal who might yeah. be victims themselves hmm. but you have to agree that especially in like a rural haryana or a rural up hmm. people has to have to go out and call 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 the war out right but for it for if you don't because if you don't do that you can't collectivize action right that the call to action loses some kind of vigor if you're not telling them that look you must move with your eyes and ears open 
and there is a very silent form of sexism which is happening because you might just be told that oh dress properly i'm being protective of you right and that happens i've seen the most modern youth telling their girlfriends that oh look you must dress properly right and i'm telling you how to dress and i don't think those girls like i've seen girls who only recognize it as a form of sexism but as a form of very caring protection yeah and that 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 is also a problem so yeah. how bad are we towards the enemy of sexism is a question mm. but there's no doubt that we have to say there there are large enemies to sexism and that we are involved in them yeah and i think it it is a very uh, complex issue right so there are plenty of knots that we have to navigate while discussing cancel culture and calling out on all of that but i think one fundamental truth which we need to sort of come to terms with as a society is that people can indulge in sexist practices without being an outright sexist themselves now what i mean by that is again it's sort of paralleling what happens with racism so a person might commit a racist act but that does not make the person a racist what i mean by that again is the act in and of itself is something that's open to interpretation by multiple players in the social scene right so there is the person who's committed the act uh, there are people who are perceiving the act all all across the all across the board so if i give a simple example uh, sometime in i think october or november last year uh, there was this footballer uh, for this club manchester city in england a portuguese footballer who posted a picture uh, of this uh, chocolate company which had this cartoonish uh, representation of a of a black figure it's like a figurine right it's he posted that picture and he drew a parallel with that picture uh, with one of his teammate uh, who was also at manchester city and who's a black player now that received outright condemnation from various channels of social media because they were saying that this is a racist uh, this is a racist equation that's been created and this is outright racist and they were condemning the player they were asking for him to be banned but the player in question who was compared by his teammate he laughed it off and said it's a joke so what i am trying to say here is that the player who actually posted that picture and made that comparison may be a perfectly decent human being which a lot of people have cited by saying that you know he's multilingual and he's got a cosmopolitan culture and even at the football club it's a cosmopolitan culture so that's fine i mean it it may exonerate the player and his character but it does not take away the fact that what he has done is still an act that is racist so that distinction that distinction between the act and the actor is something i think we need to understand in the society in a larger context so for example a lot of times when i was in kolkata uh, you know when i was on a bus uh, and kolkata buses you know are really crowded so uh, often if if there was a woman and of course those bus lines are segregated men and women seats are segregated uh, at times when there was uh, let's say a female passenger uh, who was standing in the vicinity and uh, i was sitting i would often get up and i would just give the seat to them right and only in hindsight have i realized that this is also a form of sexist behavior because you're sort of assuming that that woman who's perfectly able otherwise is necessarily weaker or does needs that seat more than you do and this is in many ways a chivalrous outgrowth of patriarchy it's like soft patriarchy right or like opening the door for a woman while he's come while she's coming out of a car or something like that so and these things i don't think necessarily make me a sexist but the actions in and of themselves which have been committed by me can still be called out as sexist so that distinction between the act and the actor needs to come into play because these are layered issues these are issues that we have been conditioned by a larger society without consciously realizing that okay this is bad this is good this falls under this paradigm this falls under that paradigm so i think we need to be more cautious with labeling even when we're calling out people on social media but but one other thing just to move this in a sort of different direction now 
we live in very complex times as i said right and especially with let's say all the hyper uh, interactive nature of social media there is a lot of abuse that's going on there's a lot of abuse there's a lot of emotional manipulation there's a lot lot of toxic behavior do you think there is a threshold that we need to keep in mind before calling people out on social media what has happened is that in the wake of the boys locker room i have had a few conversations with people who have spoken about you know instances that they have experienced where they have experienced toxic behavior from either their their partners or like family members but they don't want to call it out because they don't see it as severe enough so what i'm trying to sort of get at is do you think we can actually draw a line of that severity or where no. it crosses no. a threshold no, impossible i'll tell you why there can be no at least in my like limited understanding of the concept there can be no universally defined or even no community like community wise defined line because there are two factors like which the threshold as for the lack of better word is a function of right hmm. the first thing is a function of is the situation in itself what is concept like is the body like you like like we were only discussing a few days back right yeah. is the body like you a concept or is it not right and like if you if you make yes and no a concept like a like the threshold for concept mm-hmm. where does it leave the entire idea of how body cues are very often seen as invitations right and like you can't you can't discount the fact that they are they are like just seduction happens in many forms and like just or even invitation to conversation and like the general feel of the room is a very great parameter by which people judge how things are going to proceed and which might not always be wrong Mm-hmm. but like we just need we just need to give people some kind of an empathy so that they don't sense the room in the wrong way right? and that's not an easy thing to do because there's a lot of subjectivity involved and in where you come from and how you how you judge the same situation like to discuss a love conversation as opposed to how the other person sees the same situation primarily defines whether you see a yes as a no or a no as a yes right? in the absence of a clear verbal thing the second thing is the function of is just the equation between the two people mm-hmm. which i don't think is something you can define universally for example as soon as you were saying partner i thought of like other male counterparts which you would have right if i say brother or if i say father or if i say son yeah. or who or like neighbor whoever right how do you define what is a good touch and what is a bad touch with which with these kind of people right like and you know it also it varies from community to community like i know in a specific communities in india which would find a more liberal form of touch or if you just touch a knee good enough and some communities which are so conservative that if you touch a knee it's not a good touch right? it's not something they would they would look forward to even like so you you can't you can't put that in stone and the minute we do that which brings me that the bus example right the minute we do that you start imposing norms some of which will be seen as people who don't need them as fixes and some of which will be followed so blindly that they serve no purpose mm-hmm. for example you are conditioned to somehow intuitively stand up when you're in, in the bus right even though you are far more aware than say the general kolkata bus taker as yeah. a, like someone who's commuting on a bus yeah. on what sexes are and these issues and whether like chivalry is a gray area with it so but we need that norm in many places because we know places that where if women weren't given that seat and because women are like are like lesser in number on that bus when it goes from route a to route b you know for a fact they'll get jostled about and touched in a way you don't want mm-hmm. and there are areas where if you don't allow women that seat in a haryana or a up they will not get that seat and they will specifically be told not they will specifically not be given that seat so 
you can't deny the idea that there are places where oppression exists and these measures are needed. Mm-hmm. But you also can't deny that literally down to the individual level, it's so subjective, the applicability of these rules differ. So the more we try to define things which are largely interpersonal in nature, stuff like thresholds, mm-hmm. the more we we end up enforcing things which we don't have to. Right? And that, that leads to so many spirals into the wrong directions. What you should do is you should teach people to... Uh, people are just going to be seen as uh, theoretically as having offended that defined threshold, right? which we don't want. Because many a times there are these problems, there are like misunderstandings, and what you should do is let people know that this is when you call out A, B, this is when you see if it was okay given the relation you share with the person, C, this is what you are going to work, and D, this is where you realize that after some investigation, we've concluded the victim was wrong. But you can't deny that the victim has to be given some kind of an upper hand, especially in India. Because there there is an underlying Mm -hmm. patriarchy. Exactly. But I think also all of those points that you said, as relevant as they are, there is also somewhere Mm -hmm. down the line the need to understand that a narrative that comes about uh, with a person confessing on social media and sort of calling somebody out, Mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. is a subtle difference between sharing a story that involves toxicity Mm-hmm. and sharing mm-hmm. a story that involves calling out somebody who has been so outrageous that they need mm-hmm. to be excommunicated or boycotted as it were mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so i think somewhere down the line we have what i have seen from some from various posts and with you know people commenting and stuff like that is that we are conflating the two so there have been situations when people have done bad things but those bad things are they so bad that those people concerned don't deserve a redemption? Or what has been even worse is that the so-called calling out has not really taken place so much by the victim as it has by these supposedly keyboard warriors who have gone on the comment section and lambasted those individuals who've been accused of, you know, various offenses. So that is also, it's it's not, not just an overcompensation, but it creates a situation where... It's a trial by social media where reputations Mm -hmm. are at stake, where individual identities are transgressing with the whole social framework of what we consider to be right and wrong. And it's a slippery slope because if you start calling out somebody uh, who has done something bad to your friend on the comment section without understanding all the emotional subtleties that have been involved, which the friend and the victim in this case can understand very well, are you not entering into a framework where you just should not, right? So I think it is just murky territory and perhaps then there needs to be more education about this. But but sort of jumping tracks a little bit, I what I have also seen with respect to all this call-out culture is that I see this as an extension of political correctness and the kind of political correctness that has become uh, the domain of the liberal left in today's times, where you have to use certain terms that are preferable or that are so-called sanitized so and and that that is fine in certain cases right i think that is fine in certain cases when let's say the use of the n-word is something that's been debated a lot as to who should have power over using the n-word and in a lot of instances it's been said that if you happen to be a member if you happen to be a black then you have the the legitimacy to use the n-word because all the uh the sort of condescending connotations that historically are associated with the n-word don't apply to you if you as a black person use the word and i think that's a that's a fair argument right but there are also situations when people go to the extent of saying that you can't call a fat person fat right that you have to call them overweight as it were or 
how do you decide if somebody is ugly you can't call somebody ugly so do you think that where do you see the this sort of tenuous connection between political correctness and the call out culture that we see today or do you think there's a connection at all yeah no i think there 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 is a connection right but in local life situation like you you again can't say that there's always a connection uh, so firstly on on the idea of how uh, these keyboard like these uh, social justice warriors and all they come out and they blanketly take a side without going into the facts of the case right mm. i think a big problem there is for example you know where this uh, richard burr the senate leader senate no it has senate committee leader if i get his post right this resigned mm-hmm. in the us yeah because he has been he has been accused in the scam not proven to have been guilty but accused yes. and he had to resign from a top post at a crucial time mm-hmm. and you see this in many places the people who have been called out for some kind of toxicity are forced to resign or give up posts which they might just be doing well in which i really don't see how that works out unless there's something we're really missing right because how i this is this is reversing the idea of innocent until proven guilty which is where mm-hmm. i can very very like I take a 100% stance against blanket calling out and beginning to reprimand the person just because they have been called out right which is it's too powerful a tool you giving to the in the hands of anyone who ever wants to bring you down from a post you're at mm-hmm. i think that's terrible on the other hand i think political correctness does feed in very well into this cancel culture because uh, let me explain through like the concept of uh, a few cultures that you find around the world yeah first thing comes to mind is the law of jante the okay? law of jante is uh, a culture in nordic countries from mm-hmm. think, few centuries old where they 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 value conformity a lot so anyone who's speaking too loud or speaking too much about how wealthy they are how well how what they've achieved in office or in their academic fields or someone who's boasting too too much is boycotted they're not called to parties not called to social gatherings right and you must at all times be humble and now it's also seen in the absolute form is people wanting to be self deprecating people have taken like at least the younger generation so the nordic countries by the way are known a lot for their hospitality right they're one of mm-hmm. the best places on earth to go to in all you and experimenters they're, they're very high and they're very in general happy society the younger generation takes the opposition to this because they're like this is just this is just like stopping people from being able to express themselves or the thing they've done something well or being able to promote themselves to conversation in, in a social gathering which is very important right and i think this problem with this problem arises from the same thing cancel culture and things like opposition to john clogin mm-hmm. you don't want that age old conformity of not being able to speak about something you want to speak about right because it's not viewed by your immediate social circle or by the place you are in as politically correct mm-hmm. so it's more of just some kind of resentment against what has been defined to be politically correct and is hence some kind of an some kind of uh, of a pressure on you right or some kind of a limitation on you as opposed to you actually wanting to in, with the full nuances of the case go and talk about it right so it might not be as much as the facts of the case itself as is it as it is about you wanting to call out the entire system of political correctness and what generations before you have told you you must do to be politically correct Yeah. Second culture, which I find very relevant, is there's a culture in Australia called the tall poppy syndrome. So it's like when up when when the poppy stalk grows too tall, you cut it off. So mm-hmm. like the metaphor metaphorically put into social lives and for years they follow this. When someone becomes big for the good, or when they talk too highly of themselves, or they behave to they behave in a very high-handed manner, 
you cut them short, you clip their wings, right? you, you work on them or you, or you show them their place in a conversation. And that's a very well-accepted practice so that people don't become rude to each other or like people don't generally become displeasing as company. Mm-hmm. That, I think, has major problems, right? Even though it will, it will stop you from like other, like stop you generally from displeasure being caused in gatherings. It has major problems in terms of limiting how you want to talk because there is no foolproof way of remaining within political, politically correct boundaries and still expressing what you think is correct or what you think needs to be expressed. Hmm. So I think the problem becomes when we don't have that fine line, which also is not possible to define, between the need to express and the need to confirm to what is politically correct. Mm-hmm. What happens as a result is when you are buying into an environment of political correctness, it's only your vocabulary that is changing. Your instincts and emotions are in some ways getting suppressed. So if you want to, let's say, uh, call a fat person fat, in public you might be using the word overweight. But in your mind, you still have the notion of what fat means. And you are still in your mind calling that person fat while sort of presenting a sanitized profile. So I think a better way to go about this, at least with respect to the so-called lighter offenses, as it were, like the whole idea of labeling somebody as fat or ugly, is whether or not you think that the recipient of that comment is comfortable with it. And if you feel that that person has told you explicitly that, look, I don't like being called fat or I don't like being called ugly, even in jokes, even in mm-hmm. passing references, then that is something you need to take into account and change not only your vocabulary, which is like, which is what most people are doing under the uh, garb of political correctness, but also the way you understand that representation. Because obviously there is no inherent malice attached to the word fat or there is no inherent malice attached to the word uh, ugly. It's what those words begin to connote in different minds and different interpretative spaces that uh, we need to take greater account of. What ends up happening with the whole cancel culture, calling out and all of that is there are certain instances where you appropriate appropriate concepts and experiences, right? So... And I think that's that's fundamental of any human experience because what is harassment? What may be harassing to you may not be harassing to me, right? If let's say somebody uh, says something about my masculinity, I remember when uh, I was told once uh, that my handshake is too weak for a man and that that, I mean, I did not take any offense. I just laughed it off. But I heard a similar instance a few days ago of another friend who shared that and he felt that, you know, he was being attacked and he was being offended. So offense and harassment and all these things which do not have any particular uh, sort of semantic boundary, so to speak, are things that will always be appropriated. But we need to create that sort of dichotomy in our minds where we are able to understand that, okay, this is a particular story with a particular narrative with a particular use of the concept and then these are the facts so when you have certain text messages which tell you exactly what the the perpetrator is trying to do it's it's much clearer then but i think when we are reading these narratives on like facebook or you know instagram or wherever it is this understanding that different words can have different contexts and need to be thereby interpreted differently is very very important Fair. we'll see I also think that needs to be taken in a more... That's perfectly fine, right? The only small change to that is that needs to be, again, localized so that you see it in different ways in different places. Mm-hmm. There are places in which setting it uh, out as legislation or as a rule for society that you must tiptoe your way around some words and some ways of talking is 
is uh, is a good indicator of what kind of change you want in the long run. And children who are going to grow up learning from grade one, grade two, that look you you can't say the N word and you can't say the A to Z word, right? Mm-hmm. And how you talk to certain people and call him overweight and call him fat are going to grow up with a greater degree of sensibility. Yeah. So you are in effect the legislation is propagating more sensibility. So that's fair, and also people are going to normalize it if there is adherence to it. Yeah. What this shouldn't do is like don't bring a bill C16 to India. <laughs> right? Don't bring <laughs> a gender neutrality bill to yeah. exactly. Hmm. So as soon as you you need to identify how badly out of sync or how well in sync is the intended law. With the society is going towards it because you need to identify the level of sexism, of patriarchy, or lack of sensibility towards a particular issue mm-hmm. before you set the rule out. And that the rule you're setting out is the baby step one and the baby step two, and not the baby step of nth or hundredth number, right? And as long mm-hmm. as we're doing that, we are on a good track to gradually establishing like a stage-wise sensibility, which is I think what should be the norm, yes. because it's better than like as you said. People in a workspace, right? Like, so even in a workspace, there are going to be my, people who are the social minority of wherever that space is located, mm. and people who are the social majority, right? Take a take a take a Muslim and a Hindu working in a Wipro office in Bangalore, right? And uh, or or in like Nagpur, right? And uh, suddenly you're going to find that the minority is having to tiptoe their way around many situations. Because sorry, the majority is having to tiptoe their way out around many situations because they don't feel it's correct for them to talk about many of the things they would have openly talked about, or are not sure about how you know, how insensitive they'll come across to be if they talk to that talk to the to the minority person that way, right? And that's a problem because I think that's hindering somewhere the it's putting a limitation on the way a more effective work relationship can form and like by consequence a more effective personal relationship can form right so it's a, it's a if it's a social conversation limiter and a rapport forming limiter then i don't think it's it serves any purpose at all because it's, yeah. it's counterproductive to making and just to sort of uh, give a bit of context to those listeners who may not be aware of what yep. uh, bill c16 is so bill c16 is a legislation uh-huh. that was uh, introduced by the canadian government to which jordan peterson an academic and uh, clinical psychologist had great opposition to and that was sort of uh, the moment he he burst into fame uh, because jordan peterson mm-hmm. said that addressing uh, transgenders or addressing individuals with gender neutral pronouns was going against freedom of speech now that's a complicated debate that's not a debate we are going to enter today but i think as we wrap this conversation up about cancel culture mm-hmm. about uh, the different shades of opinion about distinguishing between art and artist at the end of the day it all comes down to freedom of speech does it not because you are on one hand empowering people and giving them the license to speak and at the same time there is society that is regulating interpretations and regulating the mechanism through which this speech can operate as you rightly said i think it's about localizing these phenomena and not just localizing with respect to socio political context but even within personal contexts so there may be certain people that you speak to on a regular basis among your friends and among your like daily contacts some of whom may not like particular words some of whom may not like to be addressed in a particular way and that mm-hmm. is where we need to sensitize ourselves that look vocabulary is something that is capacious but at the same time vocabulary is something that we need to customize when uh, talking to different individuals like for example let's say uh, you know i see all these instagram comments okay on uh, pictures of like my female friends where people have said oh you're looking hot or you're looking pretty and all of these things so these words may mean different things to different people 
and in one context it might be i might be okay to sort of substitute the word pretty with with hot but in another context it may not be because maybe that person perceives it to be an objectification so more sensitized vocabulary i think is perhaps one way of of going towards a society where at least there is relatively better understanding of all these different concepts that we spoke about today there there there's a there's a twist you can put to that right hmm. what is what if there is an overly sensitive reception of the word hot mm-hmm. and on the other hand there can be an overly pervert like expression when you're when you're using the word hot so there's literally no way of defining it so what and what, no, what I'm saying if we if we move yeah. it towards legislation what what's going to happen is we're going to like towards a more defined rule is that we're going to boycott and taboo the word hot out right so yeah. another way to look at it is for of course with like over and above what we discussed is just be more eloquent right just promote the idea that i have a larger vocabulary right now be able to express what you have to without going into a word that might mean something else and like and that different from what you're you want to express and if you mean if you mean you're looking good just say you're looking good and mm. that the word hot has specifically defined meaning for mm. a very simple example is people say 10 bucks 15 bucks right Then yeah. bucks refers to dollars. <laughs> so when people go yeah. to Pushkawala and uh, come back from like, buying a Pushka and say it cost me ten bucks, and, like yeah. that doesn't cost so you ten dollars. They wouldn't have had the Pushka if it cost ten bucks. Exactly. Don't take it yeah. out of context. Huh. Yeah. So just like general eloquence within people, I think is a very plausible solution to the idea of misinterpreted words and like over sensitivity mm-hmm. on both expression and consumption ends of the word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. but but what i was trying to say as again this is a relevant point that you mm. make but i don't think mm. you know people sort of increasing their vocabulary or eloquence is something that that's going to no, happen it's, it's a long term change it's a long term change yeah, yeah yeah but what i'm also saying is that instead of just completely getting rid of words like uh, hot and all of these mm. sort of adjectives mm. that might be misinterpreted it's also the realization that if somebody tells you categorically and i know that this does not happen in all the cases like maybe a girl won't go ahead and text you and say that look i don't uh, like the fact that you addressed me by this adjective but if it happens then i think you that that needs to be taken on board and that is where you can't get into an arg- argument saying no i meant this when i said hot i did not mean to objectify yeah. you if when i said hot i think that's where of course yeah. the the person who has yeah. received that comment the recipient's authority should be the final authority and instead of you know a semantic yeah. debate of what the word really meant we'll be entering more uh, contentious territory over the next few weeks because we aim to take a few more uh, hotly debated mm-hmm. concepts and <laughs> and hopefully uh, oh no you can't say that right don't leave it to the listeners for the receiving end right? <laughs> we might just mean different things when we go into these controversial topics yeah might yeah. be consumed in different ways yeah mm-hmm, absolutely but i think just as we end it's it's important to sort of also mm. take a step back and see this in the larger scheme of things i think it's it's a great thing that people are coming out with the narratives people are calling people out on social media and sharing their stories but again just the way you use the two words share your story and call people out there is a gulf of difference between the two and it's sort of understanding that each narrative maps a certain tenuous territory between these two different worlds as it were of sharing stories and of calling somebody out and they can be mutually inclusive they can be mutually exclusive as well but they are mm-hmm. not uniform is i think the the fundamental realization that definitely there are no rules that so apply so we support exactly i think what what we're trying to get at throughout was that we support any expression that's bringing some kind of empowerment right but mm-hmm. we think that the consumption on the other end by people 
should be in terms of every detail and every nuance of that expression. Yeah. And not then the empower the father empowerment doesn't mean you blanketly judge it and think that the expressor is right. Hmm. Yes. Right? So we support the feeling it brings. Mm-hmm. So it's about having that focus yeah. that a particular account mm-hmm. brings, but it's also about having the perspective to understand that this account does mm-hmm. not exist in isolation. Definitely, very true. Yeah. All right. So on that note, I think we'll uh, call it a day, and next week Shalom. we'll be yeah. back. Take care. <laughs> Take care, bro. See Shalom. you. Bye. 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 Hi guys, thank you for listening to this episode of That's What We Said. Ved and I realized that we raised many contentious issues during this episode, and that most of you feel very strongly about these issues. So do go to the comment section, engage, and tell us where you felt that we should have engaged more. things that you feel you disagree with and maybe areas you felt we resonated what you've been thinking about ved and i will continue to bring up contentious issues and engage what we feel are topics that have an urgent appeal in today's society click on the bell icon to subscribe and receive the latest updates regarding that's what we said till the next time take care